Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. How you doing, church? All right. Good. Well, buckle up, because we're going to dive into it here. Um, But before we get going, um, it has been a challenging week. A lot of things going on, if you've been paying attention to the news at all. Um, But also um, here locally, I just want to let you know, um, Pastor John Wilson um, at Farm Loop passed away this week, had been the pastor there for more than 20 years at that church and in that community. uh, his wife, Shirley, their family, and the church are grieving that loss. I would just encourage you as a church to be praying for them, um, that God would be with them uh, in this time of grieving, um, and then also give them wisdom in the days ahead. God has been doing amazing things through that church in recent years, and um, I would just encourage you to lift them up. Um, also, the islands are on fire. Um, Maui, um, death toll has risen well over 90 at this point. They've searched just a small percentage of the facilities. Um, I was connecting with a good friend in uh, Hawaii this morning, a pastor of a multi-site church uh, called Inspire Church um, there in Hawaii, and uh, just said, what can we do? How can we help? Um, And so we are sending some funds their way from our missions funds, about $5,000, and they are connected with about five different churches on Maui um, who are uh, resourcing, investing in communities where resources aren't getting to yet, those sorts of things. It's someone that I've trusted uh, over the years. And um, so we're going to be investing in that with them. Also, Pastor Josh O'Donnell and his family are on Maui um, right now. In fact, they gave up their seats on the airplane so that another family could get off island. Um, And then I believe they're headed home today. So be praying for them as well. But then be praying for those who are experiencing loss, tragedy um, there in an island community. um, Everyone is affected. Uh, by that kind of loss. And so let's be praying for them. If you're interested in partnering with us and investing in the ongoing uh, relief effort there, you can designate that um, through uh, our missions category and the giving on the app. Um, But we're going to be sending that out tomorrow to them as well. But be praying for them. In other news, um, I just got home. Our team did from Texas. Such a cute little state. Um... But I can now officially confirm um, that uh, Texas barbecue is a distant second to Memphis barbecue. Um, I just wanted to say that out loud. It's been an ongoing debate between Pete Monday and myself, and he is wrong. Um, Tennessee barbecue is better. Our whole team got sick on the trip. That's what we get for going to Texas. Uh, But here we are. We're ready to roll. Are you ready for today? All right, we're in part two of our Ascent mini-series. And last week, what we were looking at um, is where did Church on the Rock come from? Who are we currently? What do we believe? And then where are we headed in the days ahead? And I can just tell you, um, after a decade in this role at Church on the Rock, I have never been more excited about our future than I currently am. Uh, I took some time this weekend, and I was actually sort of journaling 
uh, my girls asked me, um, is it a journal or is it a diary? And since I didn't want them to read it, I said, diary. Which they thought was super strange that their dad had a diary. So I went and asked mom, what's the difference between a journal and a diary? And she said, nothing. <laughs> so now they'll probably read it. But I was kind of writing out the past 10 years um, and my experience here at Church on the Rock. Uh, if you've been around for very long at all, we have navigated some stuff over the past 10 years, and yet God has been exceedingly faithful and generous to us. And what that tells me is that he is not finished with our church. But what you need to know is that I've never wondered if he was finished with the church. Because the kingdom is advancing. It's moving forward. Whether we choose to join it or not, the scriptures are abundantly clear that the kingdom of heaven from the days of John the Baptist till this moment has been forcefully advancing and people of boldness take hold of it. And we're actually invited as a local church and as individuals to join Jesus in that advancing of his kingdom. And to the degree that we're faithful to do that as a local church, is the degree to which he will continue to pour out his favor and his blessing. That's a good word. Let's just close the word of prayer right now, and uh, let's, let's wrap it up. All right. Um, and so last week we looked at where we've been, uh, where we are currently, and where we're headed in the future. And we asked a few things of you, that you would consider joining us through partnership. That partnership agreement really describes who we are, what we believe, and where we're going. And it matters to our ability to uniquely run together in the local church context. And then we asked you to consider taking that online gifts assessment. How many of you took the online gifts assessment? Both of us. Perfect. Oh, wait, let me ask this week. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm so... Get some prizes for, okay, I'm just kidding. There's no prizes. Uh, but, but the prize really is what we want is to offer a free tool to you to be able to sort of discover how you're uniquely wired by God because that's where we're headed this week. Now, by way of review, our purpose as a church, the reason Church on the Rock exists in the world is for this, to develop people, not to run ministries, not to launch programs, to the degree that ministries and programs facilitate the developing of people, we will do them. But we actually exist to develop a particular kind of person, and that is people who are discovering how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. Which, by the way, will be an ongoing, lifelong process for all of us. I'm quite certain at this point in my life of that. But we exist to develop people who love, live, and lead like Jesus. And we break that out a little bit further in this way, that people who love God and love people, who love God and love others. How many of you know sometimes the loving God piece is the easiest part of those two? Because you've met you, right? Like, I mean, we can be challenging to love sometimes, all of us. And yet we actually exist to develop people who are discovering more and more what it looks like to love God and how God loves them, and then also developing their ability to love one another and value one another. And then the next piece of that is the helping people discover how to live in freedom through Christ. Because Jesus didn't create you to learn how to manage your brokenness. 
to learn how to manage all of the wounds and past offenses and those sorts of things. He actually wants to heal those things so that you could live free of their effects in your life. That's actually what he intends to do. He doesn't create anger management courses for us. He actually wants to go to the source, the core, the place where that wounding or offense or brokenness took place and bring healing to it so that you could live free of those reactions. That's actually what he wants to accomplish in us. And then the last piece is develop people who lead others to Jesus through disciple making. Now, the word discipleship, disciple making, I think is often a terrifying word for many people in the church. Maybe you, like me, have thought to yourself, uh, I don't think you want me discipling anyone. You don't know what my life is like, pastor. Here's what I would tell you. All of us have things in our lives that we could point to as excuses for not giving away the good that we have to give away. In other words, if you're waiting for the day when you've reached a certain level of perfection, if you're waiting for the day when all temptations are gone, or you've memorized enough scripture, or you've read enough books, or you graduated from Bible college, and now you know everything you need to know in order to make disciples, you will never make disciples. I tell young pastors all the time, if you believe the day is coming when you will do everything out of entirely pure motives, you will do one of two things. You will lie to yourself about what your motivations are, or you will pretend to others that you have no impure motivations. Your job is to identify those impure, ego-driven motivations for doing what you do and see those put to death and elevate the ones that are pure and from Christ. But if you pretend they aren't there, and if you believe the day is coming when you will have no ulterior motives, you will actually never fully step into the thing Jesus is calling you to do. In the past, we've used the language of give away what you've already got. Don't wait till you have it all. Give away what you've already got. Make disciples, which is the call of every follower of Jesus. Now, this week, what we're going to do is make it all about you. Aren't you excited about that? Say, all about me. You didn't seem near as excited as I thought you would be about that. I know it's like not holy to be excited about that. But the reality is that I believe God wants you to discover how he has designed you, your divine design, and help you find your place in the church. Notice what I said. Not Church on the Rock. I hope it's here. We have great things happening here. There are lots of places for you to plug in and engage and build community and relationship and use your gifts and your talents. But the reality is, at the end of the day, what I want to see happen for you is that you would find how your design, the way God's wired you and the giftings and passions he's given you, actually can serve the church, Big C, whether it's here or somewhere else. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at in the next few moments. Now, our core values as a church, and I told you this last week, we used to have like 32 core values, but that didn't seem very core. So we narrowed them down to four core values. At Church on the Rock, we value worship, relationship, growth, and participation. That you would discover what it looks like to worship God for who he is, in spirit and in truth, that you would have opportunities to do that. You would discover worship is more than music. It's more than the songs that you sing on a Sunday, but worship is actually a way we live our lives before God. That you would experience real and meaningful relationships, which, by the way, don't happen in this room in these few moments. 
There may be interactions that are relational, but the kind of relationship we believe you were created for and that we need to thrive actually doesn't take place in these few moments. You can sneak into this room and you can sneak out of this room. You can put your smile on. You can pretend everything's okay, but you're actually created for real, meaningful relationship. And if you believe the Sunday service will scratch that itch, it won't. You actually need more than that. And then we value growth, that you would discover what it looks like to become more and more like Jesus over time, and then participation, that you were not created to be consumers, you were created to be contributors, that you were not created to be spectators in a room, you were actually created to be participants in daily life outside of this room in the kingdom of God. So when we talk about divine design, there are a few things that you need to know that we believe as a church. And the first one is this. We believe that every follower of Christ is called to ministry. How many of you have heard that term before, called to ministry? I remember growing up thinking this was some sort of unique and special calling, and there were people who were called to ministry and those who were not called to ministry. And so those who were the spiritual chosen ones were called to ministry and everyone else was called to something else. That actually isn't how the scriptures describe it at all. In fact, fundamentally, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to ministry. The scriptures use several different terms to describe this. One of them would be the priesthood of the believer that you actually have the right and the privilege and the opportunity to shepherd people. That at the end of the day, there aren't those who are called to ministry and those who are not called to ministry. We are all called to ministry. Some people get the opportunity to do it vocationally, but it does not make their role more important. You need to hear that. Like, my job on a Sunday in these few moments that we have together and the way that I lead our teams during the course of the week, my job is not more important than your job. My job is not a greater calling than your job. You are in unique spheres of influence and relationship that I will never be in. And in those realms of influence, whether it's in your family, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, you are actually called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just got to figure out what your pulpit is. But every follower of Jesus is called to ministry. Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus gives the great commission, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. That isn't just to the 11 guys who are there. That is to every disciple of Jesus for every generation to come after that. You want to experience the power of God at work in your life. You want to experience nearness with Jesus. Join him in what he's doing. You won't find it at another conference. You won't find it at another worship event. You won't find it at another Sunday service. You'll discover nearness with Jesus by joining him in what he's doing in the world through your sphere of influence, your pulpit. Man, that's a good word, Pastor. I know that's why I said it. I'm all kinds of excited about it for you. The truth is, um, I have a unique calling in my particular role. And we looked at it last week. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, but here it is. This is how it's described in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to do all of the work and to teach your children Bible verses. 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And to the degree that I empower you, that our team empowers you to do the thing God designed you to do in the world is the degree to which we will succeed at what God's called us to do. But if we believe and if we allow people to believe that we are uniquely the ones who minister to everyone, we will never succeed at what Jesus has called us to do together. Now, looking at the next piece here, we also believe that God intentionally designed you to join his mission and has uniquely equipped you for it. In other words, the way you've been wired with all of your strengths and even your weaknesses, God intentionally designed you with unique passions and giftings and opportunities. And he's given you experiences in life that have uniquely equipped you to do the thing he's called you to do. In fact, if you want to sit in a passage of Scripture for a little while and just maul over what it actually means for your life, I would encourage you to do that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what it says. For we are God's handiwork. I want to just pause there for a moment. What I want you to do is in the place of we, put your name. For Jonathan is God's handiwork. You could even go so far as for Pete, Jonas, Don. For Jonathan is God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for him to do. You realize that applies to you, that you were created by God. You're his handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus, and he actually laid out, whether you knew it or not, he laid out good things for you to join him in doing before you were ever born. And your job is to get busy discovering what those things are and how you can join him in them. But your God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you and I to do. How many of you feel like, um, man, I'm a little further along in life than I would have liked to have been, and I'm pretty sure I missed all of the things? He must not have anything else. I'm telling you that's not true. If you're not dead, he's not done. He's got stuff for you to be putting your hand to. Forget about what you might have missed back here and begin asking the question, how can you join him right here and now? In fact, even the challenging things, the negative things that you've experienced in life actually can be utilized as part of that unique gifting and calling God has for you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this is how it's described. And we know that for those who love God, all things, say all things. In the original Greek, all means all. I know it's shocking, and you thought I knew more than that, but I don't. That's all I know. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are 
good. It's an important distinction to make that God doesn't cause evil to be done to you, but he does possess the capacity that if we will even yield those difficult, painful, and challenging things to him, he can actually turn them for our good and for the good of others. There are things you've experienced in life, whether it was at the hands of a parent or a caregiver or natural causes like disease and those sorts of things, and you have survived those things, and God has the capacity, if you will yield that pain to him and allow him to turn it into something beautiful, he can do so, not just for you, but for those around you. You may possess a unique ability to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn because of something you have uniquely experienced and you could display the heart of Christ to someone else as a result. Your story matters. Not just to us as a church. Your story matters in terms of the gospel being proclaimed in all the earth because you have life experiences that have shaped and will continue to shape who you are and what you have to offer. In fact, I would even say this. You've had some life experiences that maybe you haven't responded to so well. Anybody in the room besides just me? Point to someone that you know who also has not responded well to those things. My wife is actually really good at highlighting these from time to time. You know, she'll be like, "Um, just so you know, I'm not that person or... Just so we're clear, I think you're actually overreacting in this moment. I've given her permission to do this because I actually need people in my life who will identify those moments when I am reacting out of a past wound or brokenness in my own life. And the question is, because those past experiences will shape you, they have shaped you, but you can also be reshaped. If you were to identify those moments where you began to react or respond in a particular way, and you were to go back there and you were to say, Jesus, what do I need to know about this moment? What do I need to see about this moment? How do you want to bring healing in this moment? You could actually be reshaped into something significant and powerful in that particular area of your life. You do not have to live in the brokenness of wounding. You can actually be free from it. You can learn to respond from an entirely new place through the grace and compassion and tenderness and healing of Jesus. But your past experiences have shaped you, will continue to shape you. You have to ask the question, how do I want it to shape me? And will I allow Jesus to speak to it? Maybe it'd be worth taking some time to just write down some of those past experiences that you've had, those painful experiences that you've had, and then revisit them through the lens of how could Jesus redeem this? What could he do if I were to give this to him? You'd be amazed at what he can accomplish. Now, one of the things that we want to help you do, and today we're going to kind of dig into this, but it is um, helping you discover your hedgehog. How many of you know what a hedgehog is? How many of you owned a hedgehog? Really? Thank you. I see that hand. Yeah. I used to work. I've done lots of bizarre jobs, but I used to work in an exotic animal ranch. And the guy who ran the exotic animal ranch had all kinds of weird animals, but the way he had made his fortune is he had gotten in early on the hedgehog craze. In fact, the hedgehog craze um, at the at its peak, they were buying up hedgehogs, putting them in these little pet taxis, and what they didn't know at the time is that hedgehogs are prolific breeders. 
Eventually, the market became totally saturated, and you couldn't hardly give hedgehogs away. But in the early days, when I was working for this man, I would routinely take pet taxis full of hedgehogs down to Texas to exotic animal auctions, and then watch people bid thousands of dollars on breeding pairs of hedgehogs. In fact, I was so excited about how much money this man was making off of hedgehogs that I decided I'm going to get in on the next thing. And the next thing was a critter called jerboas. That sounds like a really enticing name. They were also, we called them miniature kangaroos. They were just a rat that looked kind of like a kangaroo from the desert in Egypt. And what we didn't know at that time is that they had never gotten them to breed in captivity. But I ordered a whole bunch of them. They showed up in these crates, and then I set up all the pet taxis and the little tunnels in my parents' garage. They're right here. They'll remember this vividly. Uh, set up all the pet taxis. What I didn't know is that um, Jerboas can actually just eat right through a pet taxi <laughs> and also right through drywall. And then they can cuddle up inside your parents' walls and die. And it can stink really bad. I, I did not make a fortune, thus I became a pastor. Um, uh, if I'm going to be broke, I might as well get to talk in front of people. Like, um, uh, but hedgehogs, there's a story that's told about the hedgehog. The hedgehogs are known really for one thing primarily. They're really, really good at it. Who knows what it is? They can curl up in a ball and stick out their spikes. They're really good at that. You know why that matters? Because foxes love to eat hedgehogs. And the story is told about the fox and the hedgehog. And the fox was always employing new tactics to try and capture the hedgehog. What the fox wanted was to get the hedgehog on its back and eat at tender belly right out of that critter. But the hedgehog, every time the fox would come with some new tactic, either he was playing dead or he was attempting to climb a tree or he was going to chase him down, the hedgehog just did the same thing every time. The hedgehog curled up in a ball and stuck out his spikes. You know why? Because it worked. He's the best in the world, like curling up in a ball and sticking out his spikes. And the fox could not get in, no matter what the fox tried. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, describes this um, in relationship to companies who discover what they're really, really good at. In fact, they can be better at anyone in the world. And everyone else is trying 20 different things. But the people who really excel discover the thing that they were uniquely designed to do. And he takes this idea of what is your hedgehog? What is the thing that you could do as well or better than anyone else if you were to discover what it is? And he breaks it out into three categories that show up in three concentric circles that overlap. And in those three circles, the first category is this area of passion. What is the thing that you are passionate about? And we would describe passion in these terms. It's those things that make us feel alive and we most desire to spend our lives doing. Now, I want to be clear because currently um, we live in a generation that believes that you can live your life only doing the thing that you're passionate about. That you would never have to send an email. You would never have, right? Good luck with that. But you could discover a thing you're primarily passionate about. What is it that makes you feel alive? Makes you feel like, I want to get up in the morning and I want to go and do this thing. I'll tell you, for me, um, as shocking as it may seem, with all the challenges that come with it and with all the things that I don't so much enjoy doing, pastoral ministry is the thing for me. 
In fact, if I were out of this role, which I have been in the past for a season, it's a matter of time before I'm jonesing just to get back into it, to be able to develop leaders, to communicate, to preach the gospel, to lead people. I actually love doing it. In this season of my life, I was wired to do that thing. Passion. The second category is giftings. We describe giftings in these ways, both the natural and developed skills that we possess at an above average degree. The natural and developed skills that we possess at an above average degree. Now, you know this is true. I know this is true. There are people who are super passionate about things and ain't got no gifting. Like worship ministry would be one of those categories where it shows up quite often. Someone shows up on the scene, they're like, I just want you to know right now, I am the next Brandon Lake. I am the next Mav City. I am the next Hillsong, right? right? Like, I am called to do this thing. I've got so much passion and zero talent, right? In fact, if we were to let them do that thing the way they wanted to do that thing, you would all have to suffer so they can succeed. Honestly, I'm, I'm passionate about worship. When I go to a worship concert or I see a new worship album that's come out, I can get all fired up. And up until this role 10 years ago, I was routinely leading worship. But I am not uniquely skilled at it. I can play G, C, D, and E minor on the guitar, which I could play most of the songs I needed to in worship circles <laughs> with just those. And, and, and I was passionate and loved to lead people in worship. But the truth is we have people who are actually more gifted. And my job is to say, go. Let us all experience the blessing of that gifting. So it doesn't just take passion, but it also takes gifting in this area. But there's one more category. And in Jim Collins' book, he actually describes this third category as the economic engine. In other words, you could make a living at doing it. There's an opportunity here. In our context, we're just going to call it opportunity. Because there are areas in which I'm passionate, I'm gifted, but there may not be opportunity at this moment. In fact, you could ask my wife, each time I go visit a group like International Justice Mission who deals with human trafficking issues and slave labor in the world, or anytime I see a film like the one that just came out, The Sound of Freedom, I go home and I'm like, pack up, baby. We're quitting the church and we're going to do this with the rest of our lives. Like, I could get all kinds of fired up. I think I could actually be really gifted at it. I'm not conflict adverse. I'm not risk adverse. I would get after it. But the truth is, in this season of our lives with young children and what we're doing currently in our church, I know that the opportunity is not there in the way that it needs to be for me to go and do that thing. You have to pause for a moment. You have to say, man, I'm passionate about this. I have gifting in this area. But is there opportunity at this moment? Sometimes you have to knock on doors and look for it. But sometimes God just tells you this isn't the season. The opportunity isn't there yet. And you can wait until the time is right. But when all three of those things come together, you discover what sits at the center of all of that is your hedgehog. It's the thing that you could potentially do better than anybody else could do it. You could excel in this area. I'll never forget several years ago with my sister Courtney as she was sort of languishing in the job that she was in in Anchorage at Anchorage Community College. Um, she was trying to figure out what she should do with her life. 
And as we sat and talked, she had sort of started on this weight loss journey. She had started um, developing keto diets and that sort of thing. And she was really thriving and creating these meal plans for people. And so as we sat and we went through these things together, what are you passionate about? What are you uniquely gifted in? What do you have opportunity for? It was this. And so she made the decision. I'm going to get after it in this area. I'm going to create a website. I'm going to start creating meal plans. And I'm just telling you, she still has this piece of paper that we wrote this on pinned up at her house. She knocked it out of the park and began to thrive in this particular area because she could do this thing better than just about anybody else. It doesn't have to be worship. It doesn't have to be pastoral ministry. It doesn't have to be serving in the local church in any particular way, but it is serving the church. How do you take that thing that God has gifted you with and serve the body of Christ with it? Which brings me to groups. Because the truth is, you weren't actually designed to do that in isolation. It's been a ton of fun for me. I've got a group of guys that I've sort of been running with for several years now. And here, um, not that long ago, when we were hunting um, together, um, I began to realize they were sensing that God was asking more of them. Now, for me, I was like, finally. (laughs) I've known this for a long time. I've known you had more in you for a long time. But when I began to hear it coming from them, like, I don't think I'm supposed to just by sitting in the background anymore. I think God's actually calling me to engage, to invest, to give away the things that have been given to me. Man, I was like, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm cheering for it. And the next thing I know, they're launching our men's group here at Church on the Rock. The the reality is that you and I were actually not created to function in isolation. We were created to function in community. And what we've known for years as a church is this Church on the Rock gets bigger. On any given Sunday, roughly 2,000 people are gathering together, hearing the message of the gospel across four campuses, our online platform, seven services happening on a Sunday. You show up for this one, but this room is not actually where you're going to build community and relationship. You can sneak in and out of here. And we've known for years that as we get bigger as a church, we must discover ways to get smaller. Because that's where real and meaningful relationship takes place. That's where accountability exists. That's where we know one another, and we can challenge one another, and we can encourage one another. And so as we get bigger as a church, we must discover ways to get smaller, and that is groups for us at Church on the Rock. In fact, if you go onto the app and you click the Ascent link and then you begin going through the process that's there or you just look for groups on the app, you'll discover all the groups we have going on. And we've broken them down into three categories as a church. And the first one we just call small groups. And listen, every church has their own language for these things. We're going to give you ours because it's perfect and Jesus has anointed it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's because we like it. Uh, uh, groups, we have small groups. And the way we would describe small groups is that these are groups who meet together for a particular period of time around a study. So maybe it's um, a marriage study. Maybe it's a financial freedom study. Maybe it's a parenting study. Or maybe it's a marriage financial parenting study because those all three go together. But it's built around a particular topic. And they're going to meet together for a fixed period of time. And they're going to take a break. And maybe that same group meets together again, or maybe it's an entirely new group of people who are going to go through that study together. And we have lots of small group environments. Women's ministry breaks out into small group environments. Youth ministry breaks out into small group environments. We have um, grief share. Lots of small group environments that happen at Church on the Rock. But the second category is actually what we call life groups. 
And just like the name denotes, what we really mean by that is these are people who are going to do life together. There's not a start and stop date. They may take a break around the holidays, but they fully intend to come back together at the end of that time. And these groups run together for years. In fact, my mom and dad who are in this service right now have been running a life group for many, many years. 827, I think is where we're at right now. You guys started with Noah. I mean, it's been going for a while. It's a seniors group, not high school seniors, but like season of life seniors, which Pete and I are quickly approaching. Um, I'll start my own. I'm not joining my parents' life group. But they've been, here's what I want you to know about it. It's a real community. In fact, they know the needs that are going on in their group. When someone's having their 11th knee surgery replacement, they're going to show up at their house while they're at the hospital or while they're recovering and make sure that the fruits and vegetables in their garden gets picked and taken care of. They're going to take care of one another. I've watched them do it for years and years and years, and they never call the church office and say, hey, would you take care of this need? They look around and say, how can we meet this need inside of real relationship and real community? That's what a life group is. It's a group of people who have come together and said, we're going to do life together for as long as Jesus gives us the opportunity to do that. And when the group gets too big, we may split into another group so that real relationship and accountability and friendship can exist there. Those are life groups. In fact, if you want to start a life group, let us know. We would love to figure out how we can partner with you, but they're not built around a particular topic. They can do studies on anything they want to, but at the end of the day, what they're built on is relationship long-term relationship. And then the third category may come as a little bit of a surprise. We don't just have small groups and life groups, but we also have serve teams. And serve teams are not intended to just be an environment where you come and serve at the church. They're actually created to be an environment where through service, you build relationship. And this I find particularly important for men because men are terrified of relationship but often love serving. And often when you come together around a common goal, whether it's in children's ministry or whether it's as a greeter or an usher or whether it's security teams or any of those environments, our goal, and we're always working towards this, we have not got it all figured out yet, but our goal is that those serve teams would actually be real community and relationship. And our leads in each of those areas have a responsibility to be spiritually caring for the people who serve on their team whether it's worship, ushers and greeters. I was told to specifically mention cafe, where you get your coffee, uh, that those teams are actually designed to be places where relationship through service is built. And I find often when we come together and serve together, it is one of the best ways, non-threatening ways, to build relationship with others. Now, Here's what I want you to know. In regards to your success on a serve team or in a small group or in a life group, there are a few things that are really, really important for you to wrap your head around, and we call it um, 360 honor at Church on the Rock. In other words, honor doesn't just flow this direction towards the head or towards the leader, but honor is something we give to one another. Genuine value, genuine respect for the way God designed you and what you bring to the team. And so your success as part of a serve team or as part of a life group or as part of a small group actually will be determined in large part by your ability to do a few things well. And the first one is your ability to recognize and respect other people's perspectives and giftings. Have you know you think the things that you think because you're right? 
and they might be also. And one of the things over the years that I've seen in our environment as a staff and in our environment as a church is genuine value for the perspective God has given you. I have people on the team who see things radically different than me. I intentionally bring them on the team because they see things radically different than me because I need their perspective. I need the people who say, that's a great plan, but what about the people, Jonathan? I might forget the people. We got a mission to accomplish. Yes, but people will help us accomplish that mission. And people are the mission, by the way. Like I need those people who routinely remind me of that because I'm so mission driven or people who say, hey, don't say that out loud just yet because you are not ready to pull the trigger on that thing, and people are going to wonder why you're talking about it, and we're never going to do it. I need people on my team who bring those perspectives and to genuinely value the perspective and gifting they bring to the team. That matters in a church. It matters in a life group. It matters in a small group, and it matters on serve teams. The second thing is this, that you would genuinely value what others contribute to the mission. They may want to do something different than what you feel called to do. And the question is, how does that expand our capacity, not how does that diminish my role? There are so many things at Church on the Rock that I don't know a thing about. In fact, if we're going to grow as a church, I have to know less and less and less. I have to be able to put my energies towards a handful of things that I'm uniquely gifted at and uniquely called to in my role. And I have people on the team that I just trust to figure it out. They're going to do it better than I ever could anyways. And when they get it wrong, we can talk about it and we can get it right. But the reality is that I have to be able to honor the way God's wired them and the mission that they're called to in our context. And the last piece is this when it comes to 360 honor. Respect and serve under the leadership of others. I don't know about you, but that can be really challenging. Like in a marriage, for example. <laughs> like the reality is there will be times where we disagree on things. We have to pause for a moment. We have to ask the question, is this catastrophic to what God's calling us to, or is this a difference? And when I first started in vocational ministry, I really fundamentally believed something that I think has helped me succeed over the years in vocational ministry, and it's this, that God placed the pastor in leadership in that role for a reason. And short of gross and obvious moral failure on that person's part, my job is to serve under their leadership. And if I can no longer do that, I should move on without taking anybody with me. God put them there. He's doing something through them. I can value that. I can respect that. Even if we can't necessarily work together, I could move on and do the thing that God's called me to do without diminishing the thing that God's called them to do. Here's what I discovered years ago. It was a particular moment when my senior pastor called me into his office. He didn't call me into his office because I was in trouble. That's the reason the principal called me into office when I was in school. But he called me into his office because he needed something from me. And the thing that he needed from me was the thing I did not want to do. It's not because I don't like children. If there are any children in the room, you're awesome and whatever. <laughs> but he asked me to take over the children's ministry at our church. I had signed up for youth ministry. 
I was willing to do worship ministry because I had learned four chords on the guitar and my wife could carry a tune. But at the end of the day, I had this much interest in children's ministry. I was like, do I get like a bucket of Ritalin? I can hand it out to the kids when they come in. Like, how do you do this? I, don't, I, have zero. I almost started crying when he asked me to take on. Fortunately, my wife was madly gifted at it. And so I got the title and she did the job. I mean, like that's really how it ultimately worked. But during that season, I so clearly heard from the Lord. Jonathan, if you ever expect anyone else to join you and serve the vision I've given you, you better learn how to serve someone else's vision. You better learn how to come under someone else and how to serve the thing God's called them to if you ever expect anyone to be willing to serve the thing I've called you to. I think it's important for all of us, no matter what role we're in in the church. All right. So we've asked a few things of you over these two weeks. We've done this a little bit different than we've normally done it. In the past, we've had this uh, sort of class in the afternoon or the evening. We even offered free food from Wingstop, and it was still a challenge to come out for, and I totally get that. But what we decided this year is that we're going to do it this way. We're going to invite you last week and this week to discover who we are as a church, what we believe and where we're going, and then discover how God has designed you, and then bring your gifting, your passion to the table and discover what opportunities are here for you. Listen, at the end of the day, if you can't discover ways to plug in at Church on the Rock, either in life groups, small groups, serve teams, and you can't find a place to give away your gifting and skill, then I beg you, find a church where you can. It matters that much for you, for your own growth, and development, for your participation in what God's doing in the world. It matters. And if you cannot find that here at Church on the Rock, I implore you, find a church where you can because you need to be giving away and growing. You were called to be more than a spectator. You were called to be a participant. You were called to be more than a consumer. You were called to be a contributor. We hope it's right here inside of this environment. Many of you are already doing it in all kinds of ways outside of the local church. You're doing it as followers of Jesus and other areas in the community. I recognize that, but I challenge you. Say yes to partnering with us and then finding your place here because I truly believe our best days are in front of us. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. you go to the app, you click on the link, or you scan the QR code that apparently is all over the place. Um, and if you don't know how to scan a QR code, find someone that is 35 or under. They will tell you. Um, it still won't work, but they'll tell you how to do it. Um, uh, but step into these next pieces, into the next parts of this process, and find your place and get plugged in. Um, but here's why all of this really matters. I mentioned this last week, but back in the early days when we were just in one location, we were in this building, everything was in this building. Chris and Lori Miller came with what I still believe to this day was a word from the Lord for Church on the Rock. It was actually found in the book of Isaiah, and the passage in the book of Isaiah simply makes this statement. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will populate the desolate cities. Remember our vision as a church. 
if we could accomplish something grand, if we could join God in something really big in our state, this is what it would be, that we could see gospel-centered, life-giving gatherings in every Alaskan community. You understand how massive that task is in a state like ours where you have 300 plus villages that only have access by airplane or boat, but there are people currently in those villages who grew up in those villages who have met Jesus or are in love with Jesus, and how could we resource them? Listen to what we're not saying. We're not saying church on the rocks in every Alaskan community. I don't care who we partner with. If it's gospel-centered and life-giving, we want to be a part of what God's doing in our state, and we believe he's far from done here And we believe he brought you here for such a time as this. And so Jesus, that's our prayer, is that you would show us how to join you in what you're doing. You would give us clarity, that we'd have the ability to honor the way that you've wired each and every one, that we would find our place, that we could run together in agreement into the days ahead. And Jesus, our prayer is the same today as it has been every other day. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our state, on earth, even as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Prayer ministry teams are going to be available here on both sides. Church, I encourage you, um, if you have any prayer needs, take the time to partner with them. Let them pray with you. We love you, church. Grace, peace to you. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.